Real people. Real opinions. Real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic Hits. Michael McCarthy. Good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Niall. Michael, when Ashling said, I have this guy on the phone, he was a soldier in the Falkland Wars. Uh, he turned to photography for, a t- for, he was a photographer in war for 15 years, moved to America and became a commercial pilot. And you were a pilot during 9-11. I had said, I have to talk to this chap. You've seen it all at this stage then, haven't you? Yeah, and I survived. And, <laughs> well, um, you're alive to talk I'm, to me. I'm alive. I'm very, very thankful. And I just feel obliged, you know, for the sake of those that didn't survive. And, uh, and I've seen lots of misery. And... Um, seen a lot of war um and i just feel you know i've done all my traveling um on my irish passport my father um, left ireland when he was four he was born in cork or four mm. or five and um my grandfather played for glen rovers when was on the, the team when they won the championships so i'm kind of i am irish but um you know i don't sound very irish and growing up in england Mm-hmm. or, you know, with the name McCarthy, you don't really blend in. And then when I get over here, returning to my ancestral homelands, I don't sort of blend in either, but, you know, I'm very much rooted here. Um, and I just feel there's so much ignorance in the country and that people aren't aware that what we're going through, a collapse of our civilization, is completely rigged, as all wars are rigged. Um, and I've seen lots of them in Southeast Asia, Eastern Europe and East Africa. And I just feel... If Ireland just could put together a think tank that was obsessed, as we should be, as Greek philosophy or was about, really, it's quite simple, is what is good, what is true, and what is real. And, how do, and how we're not did doing you, that anymore. Oh, how do, okay, let's go back to the start. How did you end up with the Falklands War in 1982? How did you end up there? Well, I was a, I was a young paratrooper in, in, in the British Army, or in the Falklands War, um, mm-hmm. and I, I, I actually had my 22nd birthday in the middle of a, of a battle but um so yeah like a lot of irishmen you know i was raised in this never forget your irish household named after michael collins my brother was named after kevin barry so my father had joined the army my grandfather had joined the army um and fought in the second world war and died of his wounds um i mean so look, i, 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 just, died I over just joined it. the army that was the only yeah. world i knew and uh, and i became you know a member of airborne forces so i was a young para and off we went to the Falklands War. Um, and I almost died. My boss died. Lots of friends died and got injured. But, well, look, nearly but, a thousand but, people but I died. left the army yeah. after that, shortly after that. And that's when I got into war photography um, for 15 years. Well, I mean, I, I'm wondering what it's like. And we did talk to some uh, veterans from the Irish Army who were in the Congo going back a while ago. And that whole, one of them painted an unbelievable picture of being in the trenches. Now, I know the Falklands War was slightly different, and we all saw it on the television. It was a bit more of a modern war, I suppose. It was one of the first modern wars we saw on TV between the Argentinians and the, and the UK. And, but there was a 1,000 people killed. There was over probably near two or 3,000 people really badly wounded. Um, a lot of innocent people died. Of course, the Argentinians were captured in the end, 11,013, whatever it was, 300 of them captured in the end. What was it like to be in that situation where, you know, this could be the last time I run across a field or this could last, I could get a bullet in my head at any second? I mean, that must have been a terrible feeling. Yeah, well, it, it was cold and it was wet, um, but the, the British Army are well trained and we were well equipped and um, and we everyone was very professional. Everybody did their job and, um, and we were up against a, a conscript army, even though they had some good elements, but... Um, they weren't as well equipped. Um, we were a long way from home, mm-hmm. and our 
our special forces and our intelligence um, did um, great work. I mean, everyone was just very professional, and we, we did our job, and um, it came to an end, and apparently we won. Um, but, yeah, it's just a messy business. It's a very, very messy business. Um, and is that what made you want to go into that type of photography to... Because I suppose that was something that you captured in your mind over that period of time in 1982. So you said, I want to capture this on paper. Yeah, I, well, I just wanted to know a little bit more about how we, who are the architects of these wars? How, how do they come about? And then I studied the collapse of the Argentine economy and the, and the banking. And, and that kind of led me to what was going on at high finance. And, and I, I just every war I covered and, you know, in Southeast Asia, Eastern Europe and East Africa, I was always trying to look behind the curtain. And as a photojournalist, you know, you, because you're not writing about them, um, you get to have lots of sort of off-the-record chats with um, you know, military leaders and, and, and politicians. And, so and, you were, get you, and were, you, were you photographing the tragedy of war as well as the politics of it? Were no, you... no, I was, just, I, was, I was always, you know, in, wherever the fighting was. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really, I wasn't sort of behind, um, you know, back in the cities chatting with them or f- photographing, you know, taking photographs okay, so of you, um, so you politicians. Captured, so I was just filming the, the war. The tragedy. Yeah, and, and 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 some and some of the the refugee camp and famines. I covered the famine in, in Sudan and Ethiopia and Eritrea, um, so I, I I covered that. And I and I know when we, we we talked yesterday about asylum seekers and the plight of asylum seekers. Now many of them are genuine; they come from war torn countries or they come from certain death, but others, of course, are economic migrants. And you know, you were kind of trying to point out to people, well, maybe if you start to think about where they came from, what they've been through in their lives, that you might have a different view of it or a different outlook. Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah, and I think if I mean, nine eleven was a big wake up call for a lot of folk. You know, the red pill and the official stories are lie, and every you know, a lot of people know that now. And I was, you know, on that day, I became a. Well, there was more or less an admission by the American government that they did have prior knowledge of an attack, but they claimed they didn't know where it was going to be. Um, what do you? What do you? There think? just needs to be, and you know, there needs to be a full investigation. There is nine uh, pilots for nine eleven truth. There's architects and engineers for nine eleven truth, which are interesting websites. So we just need a genuine criminal investigation of it, um, and then that led on to the Iraq War, the Afghanistan, and in Libya and Syria. Well, it was an excuse for those wars, yes. Yeah, and and, and those wars continue. I mean, it's long uh, America's longest war, and we're still stuck in Afghanistan. I've spent quite a bit of time in Pakistan as well. Um, so it's like these. You know, and if you look at 6,000 years of human history, th- th- there's never been a time where mixing religions and races together has ever been a good idea. And there's nothing in the Christian faith, in Scripture, that supports the idea of doing this. I mean, c- the Christian faith is ethno-nationalist, and ethno-nationalism is a beautiful thing, because ethno-nationalism is about, I love all peoples of the world, and I do, but I love my people the most. And if we stick to that, there wouldn't be any wars. And we just have to be able to isolate these warmongers. And because these things are created, and they have been done for thousands of years um, by warmongers, and I think that there's a way out of that, and I'm very hopeful. But at the moment, we we have a death grip of this agenda, um, which is telling us to embrace all of this when it's going to collapse uh, our civilization. And we should be doing everything we can to, if we really want to help these people, is expose the crime. Why do you think, particularly in Europe at the moment, we're seeing a lot of it, why do we think or why do countries believe that multiculturalism can work when we see no evidence of it anywhere in the world where multiculturalism actually does work? I it mean, does, it does work it does. in small pockets, but, 
but generally speaking, at it a society work. level, no. it, it doesn't work. I've just spent ten years living in well, America. Then why, why do you think governments are doing there. it? Why do you think governments are pushing for it so hard? And you know, we see it here in Ireland, uh, particularly across Europe. We see it in Germany because they want to replace the population because they've lost their younger population. Uh, Ireland is probably pretty much the same. We have a low birth rate. We've got a government who are very concerned about pensions in the future and they want to increase the population to pay for those pensions. And the only way they can do that is bringing people into the country. So why do you think governments are doing it when they see the problems it creates? Because it creates chaos and it will collapse our civilization. And what they want is they want a one-world government. They don't want any... Um, co- cohesive nations that can stand up against this. That's what they want. They want the collapse of all nations. Yeah, but I, 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 I understand what you're saying, but I personally don't believe that sort of Simon Coveney or Leo Varadkar as the leaders of Ireland or Boris Johnson as the leader of the UK are colluding in any way with some central organisation uh, to achieve what you're talking about. I don't believe on a personal level they're doing that. Well, they wouldn't. I, I think there's some ignorance there, but I don't think they're completely moronic. And so they are agents for these people. The, the architects of this, they are agents for these, these people. And they wouldn't be in public office if they were unwilling to go along with this agenda. And they'll be quickly sort of, um, you know, unselected. Um, and someone else who is willing to go along with this agenda will, would replace them. Uh, and that's, that's the, the name so, of the game. So what is the solution to the problem in, say, the African continent and the Middle East, when you see people getting onto boats desperate for a better life? Well, Africa should be many more countries. And if, if the fine, and I've, I've met the, the, you know, the finest of Africans are not running um, countries in Africa. And, of course, there should be many more countries in Africa. All the borders of African nations were not drawn by Africans and often cut through you know, many, many ethnic territories. So I think if we just had a, what would Africa look like if it was, if the borders of the nations were drawn by Africans, you know, the, the, the uh, sort of an, an enlightened aristocracy of, of Africans that could actually figure out, well, where should these borders be? And let's, let's make these nations work. Because there are so many fault lines, not just in Africa, but in, uh, in, in, um, in, in India, even in Russia. Russia is many countries, um, but it's just been called one country. Um, so if we could just, and what, what does an ethnic map of the world look like? I mean, there are 195 countries at the moment. There, there should be many, many more. And we can uh, become... But you know as well as I do that the individuals responsible for most of these countries, particularly on the African continent, are corrupt. Of course they are. But is that our... Well, it, to some extent, but at least we live in a civilized society. Extent, but yeah, but we live in a civilized society, I hope. Well, not, I don't know. It's, it, I think it could be way more civilized. And we so, should, but is Africa, is India, is Pakistan, are the problems of those countries, Iran, Iraq, are those problems, are they our problems? Well, they're becoming our problems. I mean, it, I think it's just looking at the elites. Uh, 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 are the elites of these societies, are they people who are obsessed with um, um, you know, b- integrity, just having integrity um, uh, and, and, be, and being truthful and, and, and telescoping out into the future, you know, long into the future, are we, are, are the trajectory that human civilization are, is on, is it the best one? And, and is it going to land in the right place at the moment? No, it's not. And we need to turn that around and bring it back to, to, you know, to, to, to reality. And I, I don't think we're, we're doing that as a civilization. We're just allowing this agenda to go forward. 
I mean, um, as a photographer, you would, but but as a photographer, Michael, I'm sure you saw the collateral damage of war: young children, Christian, Muslim children, whatever, you know, being slaughtered, being killed, women being raped uh, yeah. during war because these wars are vicious. And all it's of going on as we speak. Absolutely. So, well, then, surely, I suppose, from that point of view, we have an understanding of why people don't want to be there anymore on that continent because they don't trust their governments to fix that problem. Well, it's not going to it's not going to serve any of us if we kind of mix them all together here. Then may, maybe we should have some safe holding area for all these people um, and then somehow you know, look behind the curtain and find out what's really going on and have a, 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 a media that's obsessed with the truth. We don't have that. We don't have that. I mean, I've worked for the BBC. The BBC is great at production, but it's not great well, on telling censored. the whole story. No, it's censored and biased. And, yeah. R- and RTE is, is, is just a wing of them. Um, as is all, all American media. I mean, 95% of the American media is owned by five corporations, and um, and they're all obsessed with deception. And so it's, it's, if we could just have a kind of an independent, citizen-funded think tank in Ireland, and because the Irish, we, you know, because I have traveled, lived and worked on every continent with my Irish passport, we are such a love people. We have no enemies except our political class and our media. But the Irish, I, I think we're, we're unique um, because our people have been cannon fodder for this, uh, this kind of elite class for centuries and have been you know, lied to for centuries, um, that we, ha- we do have a, a, a right and, and, and a need and a responsibility to stand up and say, this is what's really going on. It's happening to us. It's happened to us for centuries. And we say no. But, but the, but the, I, liberal I would, the liberals okay, the liberals would have the Irish believe that we've been some sort of protected class for many years, unlike many other countries where we didn't experience diversity because, of course, we were completely populated by indigenous white Irish people. And then all of a sudden, over the last 20 or so years, as part of the EU and the agreement that we have, the EU, that we had the free movement of people, and we also have asylum seekers and refugees and all sorts of people coming into Ireland, that, you know, that we are being overprotective or patriotic or overpatriotic about our country. No, we're, we're, we're being very, very sensible for the sake of the whole world. That's what ethno-nationalism is about. But, and if you look at 6,000 years of history, um, you know, uh, diversity plus proximity always equals warfare. And so that's what we're being set up for. And there are no... Go- I mean, I lived in Paris. There are 21 areas around Paris now where I can't go. I cannot go. And certainly my daughter couldn't go. And 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 if the and if the uh, if the authority if the police go there or the emergency services go there they have to go there with an armed guard, um, and so that that's Paris isn't Paris anymore, and so, and so this is happening in areas all over Europe and it's Sweden is now the rape capital of the world. But, okay, but but is but is the, is it got to a point where Michael? You know, you can pontificate and I can pontificate and we can give all the facts and figures about deportation orders not being upheld and et cetera, et cetera. But at this point, it's too late. Well, it's never too late. I mean, we have to turn this thing around. Otherwise, we end up like Sweden. And, I, you know, I, I, I've but, got but a no, no, the point I'm saying is it's too late that you take Paris and you gave an example of Paris. And you're right. Uh, you know, there's a large uh, Islam is very prominent now in, in Paris. And there is a large amount of Muslims, made them, by the way, peaceful people. And I have to say that, of course, because it's true. Uh, but there are many who are not peaceful people. And but the point is, it's done. They're they're not going to start rounding people up and sending them back. You know, second well, we ge- second generation Afghanistanis and sending them back to where they came from because they can't do that. People have human rights. Well, it's human. Not human rights to destroy civilization. I mean, it's, we have to look at the UN and look at all these human rights, and uh, and look at in 1948 the uh, the UN 
um, counsel against um, genocide. I mean, we should look look into that. Everything that Ireland's going through is um, is is in line with what the UN talked about in 1948. We're literally being genocided, um, and so multiculturalism has is not a good idea. So somehow we have to reverse engineer it. Um, it's not a case of rounding people up. We can't do this in a year or two. We ca- we got to do it over a generation or two. But we can. I think we just need to reverse engineer. Um, and somehow some kind of velvet divorce from this uh, from this agenda, and it's that's why I think a think tank. You know, you're not going to sort it out in one day um, on air. But I think we need to kind of think our way through this. But certainly identify the criminal class that that, that you know is are the architects of all of this and have been for a long time. What, what do you finally? Because I, ha- I have to wrap it up because I have to go to a break. But Michael, what do you finally think of people who listen to you today? And, and I give you I give you one. I'm going to read you one text, provided you don't mind being insulted. Um, And it's from Sean in Cork. And he says, are you guys kidding me? Giving a guest spot to a bigoted conspiracy theorist. So what do you think of people who will listen to you? And I agree with a lot of what you said, by the way. But will listen to you and they say, they use the word racist. They use the word bigoted of anybody who suggests that multiculturalism doesn't work. And this is how the conversation gets stopped all the time. What do you say to those people? Well, people do conspire. And if it works, show me the evidence. It's like that's the you know, Greek philosophy. What is true? What is real? Uh, and uh, and yeah, I'm mean, just show me the evidence. If it's true, if if show me where where is it working? Where is it working? I'm not against tourism. I'm not uh, as as in Japan. I'm not against a guest worker program. Um, but trying to push multiculturalism like it's going to work, it well, it's just show me the evidence. What is true? What is real? It's um, yeah, okay. multiculturalism doesn't work it's not a it's not a good idea i think we can come up with better ideas and i think ethno-nationalism for all peoples of the world protected by all peoples of the world is a good solution and i think we have to kind of move in that direction because that has a i think that's likely to have a better outcome all right well listen thank you very much indeed i'm sure there are people who agree with you and many that might not uh thank you very much indeed and i'm sure we will talk to you again it was an interesting conversation, to say the least. Michael McCarthy, ex-soldier of the Falklands War, turned photographer for 15 years, and also moved to America and became a commercial pilot uh, during 9-11. Okay, keep texting, uh, keep WhatsApping. I don't want to get into the conversation about it today. We'll do it again another day, but I know loads of those people are texting in relation to that. Uh, so he says, no, that's the best guest I think I've ever heard in your show. Uh, that comes in from Kevin. Uh, Sean, not happy. He says, your man is talking nonsense. Uh, this is profound ignorance being expounded. And that comes in from Sean. Uh, he, I mean, he's another person says he agrees, uh, agree with every word that man says about multiculturalism. And um, uh, somebody else says, no, there are examples around the world where multiculturalism has, multiculturalism has worked. Uh, but I do agree, it's usually in small pockets, not on a mass scale. All right, well, I, I, multiculturalism has problems. There's no doubt about that. There is problems and people have to get used to living with each other with different cultures. Um, I think diversity can work. I think it does work sometimes. Um, but I think it depends on the type of people that we're talking about. If you're talking about skilled laborers, I probably don't see an issue with it. But if you're talking about people who are unskilled, I think we have a problem because there's always going to be resentment, isn't there? And that's how we end up having racism because of resentment. Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi-award winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic Hits.